This is the Man City Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Pollard, and today we are bringing you our annual chairman's interview in full. It's one of the most eagerly anticipated pieces of content we produce every season. You, the fans, do really seem to enjoy it. This year's was recorded in Porto the day after our Champions League final defeat. Personally speaking, I was feeling very low after that game, but this interview made me realise what a fantastic season we've had. Winning the Premier League by 12 points, winning the Carabao Cup for the fourth successive season and making it to our first ever Champions League final, that constitutes a fine campaign by any measure. The chairman makes it clear that's how he feels despite the disappointment of that final result. He also discusses the proposed European Super League and apologises unreservedly for our involvement in that. And he also chats about the summer transfer window. We certainly won't be standing still, it seems. We released the interview in three parts over three days over on mancity.com and the official Man City app. But here it is in full for our podcast listeners. Chairman Khaldun Elmabarak in conversation with Editor-in-Chief Chris Bailey. Morning, Chairman. Good morning. The uh, morning after the night before in Porto. There's only one place to start, really, and that's last night um, and the defeat in the Champions League final to Chelsea. How are you feeling this morning? Chris, I feel very proud. I feel very, very proud of what this team has accomplished. You know, when you reach a final, when you reach the Champions League final, the, the pinnacle in football, the pinnacle in sports, I think uh, it's an incredible achievement. We've been working hard for so many years to, uh, to get to this point. It's about building blocks. It's about growing. It's about you know, achieving our targets. And to achieve targets, you're going to miss targets. It's part of life. It's part of football. Uh, last night was about getting to that very important milestone that we've worked so hard to get to. You win, you lose in a final. That's, that's football. It's that simple. And it's a 50-50 and you give it your all, and at the end of the day, if things go your way, you win, and if not, uh, you have to be proud, and you have to say, congratulations to Chelsea, well done, uh, and for our team, we're gonna come back. We're gonna come back stronger, we're gonna come, come back hungrier. I'm excited about uh, that journey for us now to, uh, to make it back to the Champions League final and to, and to winning it. Um, we're sat here with the two trophies we've won this season, right next to your, your right hand. I mean, that's, that says a lot in itself. Um, and there's been five of one and six of another in the last 10 years. And, and that represents something of a, of a dynasty. Do you think that's the case? Is it, is, has there a dynasty been set up here? Absolutely. I mean, look at this. You know, to be sitting here uh, and, and you asking me, how do I feel about a season when I have behind me uh, the Premier League title, the Carabao Cup, and having just lost the Champions League final. Uh, this is the sort of season we had, uh, a remarkable season by any description. But it's also a culmination of years of hard work to reach a level of consistency, a level of expectations that this club uh, has reached now, which is a club that will compete year in, year out. You can't win every year, but year in, year out, we're going to be there. Ten years in a row, we were in the Champions League. No other English team has done that in, this, in the last ten years. Five Premier League titles in the last ten years. More domestic trophies uh, in that same period than any other English team. Three out of the last four Premier League titles. This is the sort of consistency that we've built as an organization. And if you look at the Champions League, it's about 
constantly going to the later stages and, and pushing. And as I think all the fans know, we've had challenges, you know, reaching one semifinal, uh, and that was a big step forward. And then, you know, struggling at that quarterfinal threshold. Uh, and then this year, breaking it again, going one step forward to the semifinal, and then going another step forward to the final. But that's it. It's about going forward, and, and whenever we have setbacks, regrouping, and then coming back stronger. And I think the, the record of the last 10 years gives me and should give everyone the confidence and, and knowledge to know we're going to come back. And uh, as, as sad as we all are, are of losing the Champions League final last, uh, last night, we'll be back in that final. And more importantly, these titles, we will be always there, that, that I promise. I mean, you said to, well, talking of promises, when we first spoke more than a decade ago, you said to me the aim was to win the Premier League five times in the next 10 years. So you, you've achieved your KPI. Sheikh Mansour should be fairly happy. <laughs> um, did you really believe that when you said it, or was it just a hope at that point? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's easy to say that now, obviously, but... But I think you've heard me say it then, and I think you've seen it happen over the last 10 years. That conviction was not based on a, uh, a prayer. Uh, it's, it was based on clarity and planning, knowledge in, in, in the people we have in this club, a clear strategy, and, and confidence in the ability of everyone to execute on it. And then the talent, you need all of that. I think in a league, the best team normally wins, most of the time. And I think we've had the best team most of the time, and accordingly, five titles in the last 10 years, as we talked, always there in the top four. I think our team performed to what it was built for, and the entire organization performed to what we planned and, and what we wanted to achieve. In a cup competition, it's a bit different. It's 90 minutes, uh, anything can happen in one game or in, in two legs, and these things happen in, in a cup game, and, and I think, that, that's, that's football, that's why we love the game, that's why we love, we love sports. But I've always believed, and I believe it again right now, and I'm, I'm confident, uh, you keep trying, uh, you, you keep giving it uh, your heart, it'll happen. I know Sheikh Mansour is immensely proud, immensely proud. His vision, going back to 2008, of what he expected, what he wanted in the next 10, 12 years, I think has been achieved. And as we look at the next 10 years, his vision of what he hopes to achieve over the next 10 years with, with this club, I believe we are well positioned to achieve that. Uh, I look at you know, the past with pride. I look at the, the, the future with excitement. And I think today the foundations are there. The blocks have been built. The foundation is strong. The confidence is there. And I think this journey continues. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm looking forward to it. And you mentioned this, this season in particular. It's been a peculiar season for the way it started. Eighth or ninth at one point, people had written the team off, written Pep off. And yet, you know, we sit here having comfortably won the Premier League title. So, how much, one, how much satisfaction does that, does that give you? And, and two, how do you compare it to, to other titles? It was a very, very challenging season. Very, very challenging. You know, this season was actually a, uh, a hybrid of two seasons. We were in the quarterfinals of the last season uh, Champions League in August. And then we had no break. And I start this season actually with the loss against Lyon. It, it felt that way because we lost that quarterfinal game. It was, uh, it was devastating, I know, for, for Pep and the team, uh, for the fans. Uh, it, it was a hard, hard loss. And then it was a short period, almost no uh, preseason. 
you know, you come back and you start the new season. Uh, we're still in the midst of, uh, of the COVID uh, period. I remember very clearly that we left the Lyon loss with a big missing feeling. You know, losing the Premier League to Liverpool in the way we lost it, then losing the Champions League the way we lost. We needed to be mentally very strong to recover, to come back. The hunger was there, there's no question. But then having said that, we still had to come in and get ourselves physically and mentally back on. And it took a while. September and October, it was, it was hard, I, I know that. But having said that, it was always clear to me that once we get our stride, this team will perform and this team will, uh, will compete and this team is going to go far. And even at the lowest point, I don't think I felt any doubts uh, that we eventually will, will get it right and we will recover. Given that, <clears throat> what were the standout moments for you then? The standout moments, I think that loss against Leicester was very important. It's not a standout in a positive sense, but it was a standout moment because it was an important moment when you lose a game like that and you lose the way we lost that game particularly. I think it was an important reset. It gave Pep and the group uh, a clarity of what we shouldn't be doing and what needed to be corrected. So I think over the season we always remember that loss and, and the need to not make the mistakes that we made. And I think we've done a, a great job in that. Another important moment of the season was that draw uh, against uh, West Bromwich. Again there, I think it was a draw that, that triggered uh, some important adjustments. And these adjustments, I think, led to the Chelsea win at Stamford Bridge. Uh, I think that performance and that result started a period that essentially won us the league. And then you go on and then you get to a couple of other moments that are, I think, crucial. I think the passing of Colin Bell, and we'll talk about that, one of the greatest players that have ever put a City shirt on, that was an important moment for us, recognizing one of the greatest that have ever played in Manchester, uh, in England, and a, a hero and a legend for this club. And then having to play against United at the Cup in an almost homage to him. Another great moment that I, that I you know, remember very fondly, how we won that game, and it was for him. Uh, it really was. Uh, the players, the coaches, the fans, everybody was, was in, in, that, in, that, uh, in that spirit. Then you had you know, these Champions League games, the round of 16, the quarterfinals, and the semifinal games. These six games, to go and win every single one of these games and play the way we played with the discipline, the character, the personality, and, and really perform was incredible. And obviously the culmination, uh, these two semifinals, uh, which were, I think, some of the greatest games uh, that we've played this season. And then you had really this Everton game, the last game of the season. It's been very difficult for me, given the, the challenges with uh, travel. I've been able to come to two games this season in terms of, you know, in the Premier League, two games. One was, you know, the West Bromwich game, I was there. And the second was Everton. And I, I can tell you, just being at that West Bromwich game, watching a game without the fans, oh, it's, it's, it's not for me, it's not for me. So coming back and, and being there for the, for the last game uh, of the season, uh, being there for Sergio's last game, uh, seeing the fans and hearing the fans, 
that was such a such a moment I think for me for the team that storybook ending uh, with Sergio coming off the bench and scoring two goals uh, I think a magnificent way to finish the season and then finally the Champions League final what a special moment for every fan of this club to finally play and be part of the Champions League final uh, that was special and will always be special our first Champions League final and you said, it's a well-known saying that if you, if you don't improve, you're standing still. And if you're standing still, you're going backwards. Right? So in business and in football, so what are the priorities this summer to make sure we don't stand still, that people don't go past us? Our priorities, so number one, we have to, and we have, uh, we need to identify the areas that we need to strengthen. One of the things I've learned over the years is you need to constantly bring in talent into the team, refresh, and particularly when you are at a high level, where you're on the top. You know, having won the league, uh, it is not the time to actually sit back and be content. That actually would be your biggest uh, mistake. This is the time to send a strong message that there's no contentment, that you're not satisfied with just winning the league, that's great, but you want to win it again, and you are committed, and you're bringing more talent, talent that's going to compete, not for the squad, but for the starting 11. You know, we lose a very important legend in Sergio Aguero. You know, very hard shoes to fill, uh, but I'm confident that we will, we will find the right player to fill those shoes. There are other areas within the group, uh, within the team, that obviously need investment, not, not too many, it's not about numbers, it's about quality. I think the squad is a, is a phenomenal squad. You don't win the Premier League and you don't reach the Champions League final if you don't have uh, an incredible squad, and we have that. We will bring quality into the squad in, in, in a couple of key positions. How do you see the market this summer then? I mean, with COVID and clubs making losses, do you think it will be an active market? Will there be blockbuster deals? Will there be fewer deals? I think it's going to be cagey. It's a very challenging market. COVID has, uh, has put a financial stress on uh, most leagues, most clubs. Uh, on that note, I think I'm particularly proud of, of how we as a club uh, and as an organization as a whole have managed through COVID our ability to take a clear view, which is our strategy sound, uh, our financial uh, balance sheet is strong and our belief uh, looking at the next three years, the next five years, the next 10 years of how football is going to continue to evolve uh, and that we're going to be constantly in the forefront of that has led us to, to take a view last summer in the midst of the pandemic that we keep going, follow the path, um, we invest wisely and, and that that will pay off in the long term. I, I, I feel the same way this summer. You know, notwithstanding what happens in the market, we will do what we need to do, uh, and we will do it in the right way. And it's going to pay out for us, I think, handsomely in the future. But going back to your question, I think the market will be difficult uh, because there's just not going to be enough liquidity and cash flowing around because of the, uh, the stress that I've just described in, in clubs and, and, and leagues around, uh, around Europe. But having said that, I think there will be no doubt uh, movement. It'll be done in a, in a more creative way, I believe, this summer. When you look at, you know, in the top 
three leagues or four leagues in Europe, and you look at the top two teams in each one of these leagues, you know, there is a need, and, and I think uh, there'll be some, some movement there. Of course, whoever comes in and whoever's in that squad, they're going to be managed by Pep. If we can just talk about Pep for a moment. Um, when we were eighth or ninth in the league and people were not writing him off, but wondering whether he'd lost his magic or lost that, that specialness or, or lost his desire, how confident were you that he could reinvent that team in the way he did and win what he has? Chris, honestly, I never had a doubt. Um, and it's easy to say that again in hindsight, but you know, Pep's record speaks for itself. Each club he's coached. But leave that aside, his record with us here at this club and seeing his work ethic, seeing his passion, seeing his commitment, you cannot be but confident if you're sitting in my place. You know, another important thing I want to note with, with Pep, the humanity that comes with it. He is a very special human being. And, you know, I knew he was in a tough spot. I knew he was in a uh, low point, uh, probably back in uh, November before he signed um, his contract. And I look back at our meeting together back then uh, when we, uh, I think, sat together, had long discussions and really, you know, had that refresh and had that realignment and, and let's say we needed to look each other in the eye and have that, yeah. I was just going to say that, I can just stop because he said in a press conference, I looked in Khaldun's eyes and I saw what I wanted to see. What did you see when you looked in his eyes? I saw a man that was so disappointed in, in his mind for not delivering what he felt he needed to deliver for this club. And a man that had so much hunger, so much desire, but just wanted to deliver and felt that he let us down. And he didn't. And I think this is where I think I needed to be clear with him. You have seasons in which you don't achieve what you want to achieve, but you need to keep going and you need to have that trust and that confidence. We were back then, I think, eighth or ninth place in the league, but I think both of us knew this team can win the league. COVID didn't help. I mean, we, we, the, normally that physical contact is so important and, and, and not having that physical contact uh, in the midst of these challenging times, I think, I think affected uh, everyone, affected him, affected me. So, you know, just sitting together, making sure that we are both aligned, making sure that he sees uh, what I felt and, and, and uh, the direction we wanted to go unchanged and vice versa. Uh, I think at the end of it, it was, it was really not that hard. I think we left that meeting at the end uh, with a clear agreement that we're going to go on another run. And I, and I remember feeling it, leaving that, that something special is going to happen after this. And I think he felt the same way. Uh, after we agreed and, you know, uh, the contract was just now that just, the, you know, technicalities and just finishing the, uh, the legalities of it, I, I told Sheikh Mansour, I think we're going to win this league this year. And I think we're going to go far in the Champions League. I don't know if we'll win it, but I think we'll go far. And he looked at me and he said, you got that from, from that meeting? Two, three days you spent with Pep? And I said, yes. Which leads me nicely onto the first of the fan questions, which is, there's no doubt that Pep is the best manager in the world. 
what are the club doing to further extend his contract? Listen, Pep has given so much to this club. And I think this period is, is, is you know, the golden era of this club. And as long as he can and is able, uh, you know, without a shadow of doubt, we will do everything we can uh, to keep Pep as long as possible in this club. I think we need to enjoy the moments now, enjoy the next season and the, the season after, which he's committed to. Uh, and then we'll take it in the same way. I think you've asked me this question two years ago or three years ago, and I answered you the same way I'm answering right now, which is we'll go as we go. Uh, this partnership has been, a, has been a great partnership. He's in the right environment. Uh, he's got the right infrastructure around him. We have the greatest trust and the greatest uh, relationship, uh, and we've achieved so much. So I think you know the journey goes on, and it will go on as long as Pep is, is happy uh, and, uh, and we are happy. So to the Man City fans, I tell you, just be, be positive, be confident, uh, enjoy these moments, look forward to the next season and we'll take it one season at a time. One person we are saying goodbye to or have already said goodbye to is Sergio Aguero. Just tell us what he's meant to you over the last decade. He's, you know, arguably the greatest legend of this club. Uh, what he's been able to achieve over 10 years. Um, I think the number of titles that he's won for this club, um, his influence over the game. Uh, I think we all know the influence he has, has had for, uh, for this club, but I think one cannot ignore the impact he's had on this league, on the Premier League. Uh, he is you know, arguably the greatest striker that has ever played in the Premier League. He'll be on anybody's top three list, I think. He's got the best goals per minute ratio uh, of any striker that has played in the Premier League. He's scored critical goals at the most critical moments. And of course, one can never forget arguably the greatest moment in Premier League history, the 93-20 QPR, that goal. So Sergio will, will leave I think with a legacy uh, that is unforgettable, he will leave as a legend. He will be appreciated, I think, for the next 100 years as one of the greatest players that have ever worn a city jersey. And uh, for me personally, just to conclude that, I think having been part of that journey with, with Sergio, having, you know, going back to the day we brought him from Atletico Madrid, and then watching him make his first appearance uh, against Swansea, two goals, one assist in less than, I don't know, less than 30 minutes, less than 25 minutes on the pitch, that beginning. And then 10 years later, that end, these two moments coming with 30 minutes left, not fit, and scoring two goals and scoring almost another two, and then playing in a Champions League final a week later, and in between, 15 trophies. That's Sergio Aguero to you. And in those 10 years, never once given anybody in this club any heartache, any problems. The perfect professional. Humble, committed, passionate, and delivering on the pitch. That's Sergio Aguero. And of course, he's going to be immortalized at the Etihad with the statue. How fitting a tribute is that? It's the least we can do. 
Throughout the last couple of years, if you look at everything we've achieved, and if you look at the players that have been legends for this club, it was always in the back of our minds. You know, we have a responsibility for uh, you know, the generations to come. These are legends and a period of time over the last 10 years that have given so much to this club. David Silva, Yaya Torre, Vincent Company, Joe Hart, Pablo Zabaleta. These are you know, players that have given incredible uh, contributions. And when you look at Silva, Vincent, uh, and Sergio particularly, I think their influence to this club and on English football, I think is unquestionable. And therefore, having statues, respecting their contributions, I think is completely well-deserved uh, for them and for our community and our fan base. And I think for the next 50, 100 years, people will look back uh, at these players in the same way we look back at some of the other greats, you know, Colin, Colin Bell, Francis Lee, uh, Mike Summerby, who, by the way, we are thinking right now of how best to show our respect and appreciation for what they have contributed. Yes, I think this ownership group was not part of that era, uh, but having said that, it's such a critical part of our history and it needs to be immortalized also. I think these are things that we are now discussing. It's a no-brainer and it's absolutely the right thing to do and it's the least thing we can do. Uh, Colin's son, of course, emotionally brought the big trophy there out against, against Everton. You won't have seen him play, but what, what, what were your memories of him as an ambassador for the club and as a man? Obviously, I come from a different era, a uh, different age. I've seen footage of Colin playing, but I never saw him play, and, and uh, I was too young to see that. So I think to speak about Colin, I mean, I didn't know him well, but he's, he's someone that every time I did see him, at every game I was at, he was a man with, uh, how to describe it, humble, genuine, serious, passionate in his own way, and, you know, a legend that you can feel was a legend in a way that is uh, unique because of his low-keyness. I always used to think in my mind, every time I saw him at the stadium, wow, this is a man that has achieved so much. Yet, he's maintained a uh, dignity and humbleness that, that you, know, you wish players can, can look at that and learn. When you're a champion, you act in a way, but then you know, years later, how to maintain that, that dignity in the most respectable way. And I think Colin is the epitome of that. And as you know, I would have loved now in, in, in hindsight to have spent more time with him and to have been able to talk even more with him. But, you know, that's life. Uh, I hope now and in, uh, in his passing that we are able to show him uh, and show his family and our fans the appreciation he deserves. And I really appreciate his son, John, participating at the Everton game and, and really, you know, carrying that trophy. I, I think the symbolism of that uh, was so important, uh, I think, for everyone. With his dad in the background on a, on a tarp Absolutely. looking at him. So. Absolutely. Very emotional for everyone. Absolutely. And another fan question. Not about Colin, but similar lines. After the success of the celebrations surrounding the club's 125th anniversary, uh, what plans are there going forward to celebrate the rich history and culture of the club? We have to, Chris, and I think this is important. One of the things we need to keep doing 
and keep improving is having that communication line with our fans. Uh, understanding what we are doing right and they want us to continue to do what we are not doing so right and they want us to improve. And that includes everything from how we are handling and managing the respect of the culture, what we need to do more in that area, the infrastructure as a whole, uh, what we can uh, improve, the things they feel most strongly about. I think this is an area that constantly we need to have this line of communications with our fans. I mean, obviously, some things we can do and some things we can't. Uh, but I think knowing and not, uh, not working on assumptions, I think this is, this is very important for, uh, for our organization. So I hope, I mean, that's an area that I think we lost a year in COVID. I think as fans will come back now to the stadium, uh, we will go back to uh, doing the necessary investments that we, 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 we should be doing, having uh, new improvements around the Etihad, um, addressing the, the concerns uh, our fans have, and, and if not, you know, explaining why. I think this is a, an important line of communication, that relationship between the fans and the club and that uh, understanding. Which brings us nicely onto the Super League, I guess. You knew this was coming, right? Of course. <laughs> so, I mean, <clears throat> it was probably the only sour note, or has been the only sour note of the season. And to call it a debacle was probably correct and probably the only misstep that this leadership has taken in, in a decade. And I know the legal matters are still pertaining around it, but how much can you tell us about how that decision was arrived at and the thinking behind it? I'm glad you asked the question because you had to ask it and, and, and I think it's important. I haven't addressed it till this moment and, uh, and I want to address it. First of all, I want to start with apologizing to the fans. I think we owe it, I owe it. It was a, um, it was a mistake. I think in hindsight, the decision should have been from the beginning uh, a decision not to participate in this league for many reasons. I think we looked at it and, and I'm not going to sit here and defend the reason why we do it. We did it. I think I will, what I will do is I will own it, which is we took a decision. I took a decision ultimately on this and I take full responsibility and it was a mistake. And what I tell the fans on this is to get to where we are today, throughout the years, we've done a lot of things right and we've made a lot of mistakes. And it's part of growing and it's part of improving and I'd say that always you need to have the courage to make mistakes and then to own up to these mistakes to go forward or else you're in a paralysis mode and particularly where we're coming from if you go back 12 years ago where we started to where we are today we couldn't have done the leaps we have made over the years without taking risks and without making mistakes uh, and learning from them and then coming back and constantly improving. It was a decision you know, based on a view, which was a mistaken view, uh, that this will improve and strengthen our position as a club. Um, I think what it missed was an important uh, aspect, which is uh, how the fans felt about it, uh, addressing, I think, a fundamental point, which is uh, the football pyramid in a way uh, that, is, that is proper. We will learn from it. I have no doubt. I think our fans 
appreciate the heart and spirit of everything we do. And I think our fans, I hope, will understand that when we make such a mistake like this, our heart was in the right place, our assessment was wrong. And it felt very much like we were the last ones in and the yeah. first ones out. And, and because of that, the fan, our fans were less vocal than many other fans, and we all saw what happened at, at, at other clubs. But I guess the simple question is, do you regret it? Yeah, I absolutely regret it. The benefit of hindsight is easy right now. Uh, I regret it, and you can see it. It was not an easy decision to say yes, yes, no, and, and we're in or, uh, and we're out. But I think you can see, in terms of the timing of when we actually did commit, it, it tells you a lot in terms of how challenged of a decision it was and how much we struggled with that decision. But you can also see that once we recognized there was a mistake, that's it. We needed to go out immediately. And uh, I think we heard the fans, uh, we heard the football uh, community uh, speak, and we acted on that. So regret, yes. Um, big learning experience. We go on and we will continue. And I think one thing I, I want to make sure that you understand, Chris, and, and, and the fans understand, we will continue to push the envelope in everything we do because we want to be the best club in the world. And to do so, we have to disrupt. And we will disrupt. And in being disruptive, sometimes you make mistakes. We've made mistakes in the past. We will make mistakes in the future. And I apologize for that. But we will do more right than wrong. And we will be better and we will be stronger and we will be more successful. I think it's pretty indisputable that more right than wrong has been done over the past decade. So another fan question, Khaldun. Um, we won our case with UEFA about financial fair play, but that doesn't mean financial fair play is dead, or does it mean financial fair play is dead? No, of course, Chris. We're, we're subject to, uh, to rules and regulations in whatever jurisdiction we're part of. Uh, but I think today, as a club, uh, as a group, we're in such a different place. You know, we have a sound financial uh, standing right now. Uh, we've always been sound, but I, but I think our strength, our balance sheet strength over the last 10 years has gone from strength to strength. And today, our ability to, to have a, a strong revenue stream, a diverse revenue stream like the one we have today, to have a strong uh, presence, you know, both in the Premier League, in terms of our standing and in the Champions League with the Champions League revenue, the, the group of sponsors that we've built over the years, our diverse investments that we've done over the years. I mean, really, you look at today, this group, and I, I will argue is one of the best run groups in the world. This club is very well managed, is financially strong. And I think from that perspective, I think when you talk about financial fair play, for me, at the end of the day, it's about rules and regulations, which we will meet. But I think in terms of our ability to move, uh, we are now in, 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 the strong, in the position I've always wanted us to get to, which is a position of strength. How much will it impact on our ability to compete on transfer fees and wages? I think we are where we are, which is in the top of the competition. We will continue to be in the top of the competition. And our ability to compete in that top tier is clear, and we will be uh, both competitive and aggressive. If we can move into another area of, of the club, which has, has had 
again, much success this year, the women and, and the academy. Start, starting with the women's team, how do you view the strategic future of women's football? Well, the starting premise, Chris, is the same. Uh, I don't see a difference between the, uh, the men's game and the women's game. Uh, and, and I think our approach in terms of both strategy to invest, strategy to grow that, uh, that game is, is consistent. It's really the same strategy, you know, copied and pasted from the men's game to the women's game because we see it really in almost the same way exactly. And, and a question from, another question from a fan. There was a shift this year in the recruitment of players for the women's team, bringing in high-profile stars from, from the USA. It, it didn't bring the title, but it brought only one defeat and a loss in the Champions League to the eventual winners. So what, what are your thoughts on the performance of the women's team, who've also won eight trophies in eight years? Well, we start from that, which is a consistency in terms of a philosophy, which is we fully believe and have bought into the women's game and the women's game becoming a, an important part uh, of football. Your team, Manchester City, has been uh, a leader in women's English football. We've been consistent, always in that top uh, echelon. We've been well-run, well-managed, well-coached. We've had great players throughout uh, the years. We've had a steady evolution uh, and a trajectory upwards. And that evolution, again, in the same way when I talk about the men's team, it's about learning, it's about evolving, and it's about improving, and it's about being consistent. You know, winning leagues, not one-offs, every year being there. And this year, we were there. We were there to the last game. That consistency is, is what I'm most proud of. I'm proud of this team. I'm proud of the coaching staff, the players, and that strategy that's evolving will continue to evolve in the same way I think every other team within our group. Well, I mean, that's, that leads on to another fan question, which are there plans for some big-name signings in the summer to replace the quality of players like Sam Mewis, who's now returned to the USA? We will do what this team needs in terms of investing in the right way, bringing in the right talent, the right continuous support infrastructure that helps our women's team to be the best team in this country and to compete in Europe. So we will do what we have to do. So, uh, yes then. <laughs> uh, how big is it? A bigger deal is it there's a new broadcast deal on the table for women's football because it's, it's sometimes felt like a, not a Cinderella sport but it's not it's not had that it's um, actually quite quite critical yeah. I think this is a very important step always I think the commerciality of any league depends on the size of the TV rights and I think this new deal sends the right signal that there is strong demand that the the, the sport is growing and that uh, there's an appreciation and a fan following that's growing that's going to help fuel the growth of this, of this sport. So I think it's a, it's a very important deal. It'll have positive changes and, and impact on the league as a whole uh, and on the, the other teams in the league because I think if you look at the Premier League, uh, the men's Premier League, it is competitive because you have 20 teams within a competitive hemisphere that makes this league the most special league in the world and the most competitive league in the world. And I think going back to the women's game, you need, again, the same. You need a group of teams with committed investors and committed uh, backing to make this league more competitive, higher quality, and therefore that will bring, again, higher revenues, better TV audiences, and, and a growth of the, uh, of the game. The hope being that the, the, some of the money is invested in, in bringing talent that make England a magnet for the best women's players. It needs to. We're committed to this, to this game. You know, we've, you've seen it not just at Manchester City, but I think in every club we, 
we own all around the world because I think there's a belief that this is a game that is going to grow, that we have a commitment to the communities that we're involved in. But above all, in the business of football, it is not just the men's game, it's going to be the women's game too, as you look at the next 10, 20 years, and we're going to be at the forefront of that. And if we can talk now about the academy for a while, and another fun question. In terms of City's junior men's team, it could hardly have been a better season with the under-23s, EDS, the under-18s, helping the club to a historic clean sweep of all the Premier League competitions. How much is the investment of the last decade now paying off and what's the investment strategy going forward? Well, Chris, I'll answer you that with a personal story. Back in uh, 2008, my first visit to, to Manchester, my first day as chairman of this club, I visited Platte Lane. I was taking a tour and I was introduced by the coaches to a young lad, eight or seven year old back then. And they told me this boy is a very special boy. Uh, you should say hello to him. I said, yeah, it would be a pleasure. So they brought this boy called Phil. And that eight-year-old started in the Champions League final for Manchester City. That's the value of a great academy. That's the story of evolution. That's how I think great clubs are built. Homegrown talent that live and breathe in Manchester City. And I think you look at the performance of the academy, not just last year, over the last 10 years. And you see the culmination of that in the results you just described for last year where you know, we won uh, at every level. It shows that the strategy was sound. It shows that with the right foundation, and it's not just physical, it's everything. It's the physical infrastructure, absolutely. I think you know, that investment in our academy was a very important investment, but it's also in everything around it. The ecosystem, the coaches, the schools, the mentors, the connectivity to the first team, the buy-in from every level of the organization leading to the head coach of the first team, Pep Guardiola, and that, that connection between the academy and the first team, the ability for these young players to train the way they do right now with the first team. This creates what you are seeing today, which is results, which is a constant output of talent and these young players some of them will make it to Manchester City others will go to other clubs and will have great careers and they will all leave with a strong foundation that we have built and that we have supported on uh, and I think this this is what will make this academy system we have one of the best in the world and so how high are your hopes that there's another Phil lurking in the in the, in the well, well, it's in not the hopes, Chris. Let me start with that. We have a lot of very talented players in the academy, very talented players at different age groups. And we have a head coach that's committed to giving them the opportunity, not just to train with them, but actually to play. And, and you've seen it this year, uh, whenever he's had the opportunity to, uh, to give some of these players some minutes playing with the first team, he's done it. 
And I don't, I don't want to name names. I think one of the lessons I've learned over the years is let them grow into it. I can tell you right now, there's no less than three or four talents that we've identified that have an incredible prospect. And Pep has his eye on them, and they will be given the opportunity. You look at how Pep has managed Phil's integration with the first team. He was criticized. We were criticized. Well, there's a, a, you know that. Yeah, there's a waiver. Why isn't he on loan somewhere? Why, you know? Patience, perseverance, learning. Look at Phil. And I think it's hard to argue that we were not good caretakers of his development into the player he is today. And we will do the same with the others. I always appreciate and understand criticism. That's, that's part of the game. But I think on this note, I feel very confident. Our team knows what they're doing. We have top professionals, top scouts, and we have a committed coaching organization to give these players the best opportunities for growth and development. And talking of growth and development, can we move on to the CFG group as a whole? It's been a year of growth again, despite the world's uh, woes, and a year of success really away from Manchester. So what do you say to those people who doubted or may still doubt the model? I have um, a belief that this model started with a lot of risk, but was sound in terms of its thesis. And over the years, this model continued to grow. Uh, again, a lot of lessons learned. We've improved, we've grown, and today we have a footprint, a global footprint, east, west, uh, of course, in Manchester City at the pinnacle. But then, you know, when you look at the, the markets we're in, the countries we're in, let's start with a couple of points. Do you believe that football is the fastest growing and the most popular sport in the world? Yes. Do you believe the business of sport is a business that's going to grow? and live entertainment is going to be always linked to sports. Yes. What are the two largest economies in the world? The United States, China. What is one of the fastest growing economies in the world? India. You look at the population of China, you look at the population of India, you look at the, the economy in the United States and the size of the population in the United States. All three of these Football has a huge way to go. And we have a belief as a group that football has a great growth trajectory in the United States. In India, it is the sport that is going to be the fastest growing. Obviously, cricket is the main sport in India, but you have a population of a billion people, the largest growing middle class in the world, one of the largest GDP growths of an economy in the world. And you have football that's growing as in popularity and is going to become that solid second. And then you have China, uh, the second largest economy in the world, the biggest population in the world. Uh, football becoming more and more the number one sport in the country. So for us, investing in a team in each one of these countries with that 20-year horizon uh, that we look at, I think is a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. There's a concern amongst Manchester City fans that although we are by far the largest part of CFG, we are not valued enough. I think 
you know, there's no doubt about that one. Uh, you know, Manchester City is at the core, is the priority, is the, is the pinnacle of our focus. Uh, I think where we spent, uh, I think, most of our energy, uh, where I spend most of my energy, uh, this is, you know, the, uh, there's no doubt. <laughs> and I think the results speak for themselves. So, you know, I assure you that's not even an area of, uh, uh, of debate. Melbourne City had a fabulous season this year, still going, so it's not, it's not finished, but they've won what they call the Premiers. How much is that a reward for perseverance and sticking to principles and, and with Patrick, a homegrown coach as well? So, just to finish my answer on the first one. So I think that the, the, the business of, of football and the business of City Football Group, I think, has been validated as the right investment strategy and the right development. And I think people are now following that. And there's no better compliment to, to show that you're on the right track than with other people following suit. But obviously, it's not just about the financial side of it. It's also the footballing side. Does the football work? Are we able then to actually emulate the success that we've had in Manchester in these clubs around the world? And the answer is absolutely yes. And I think you, you look at what we've achieved this year as an example. And we start with Melbourne. Melbourne has had its journey. And today, it's one of the most important clubs in the Australian A-League. It's a member that is now considered one of the best run. And to finish first in that league uh, right now and to be entering the playoffs first for the first time, but to do it now with a club that's now created its DNA, building an academy, building the women's team, building its own age group teams that support that first team, having a coach that has gone through the evolution of, of being part of every one of these teams and then now coaching the first team and now finally being in first place, the results matching the objectives and now entering the, the, the playoffs and hopefully uh, in, a, in a very strong position for that. I think it is a great credit to uh, and a great example of how that model has worked and continues to work and is financially both viable and sustainable and on the footballing side shows consistent success. Mumbai City, another so great example. say that's the opposite though, first, first, first year in, win the title. Well, again, I think because we're getting better at it. The system is better, the scouting, the interconnectivity between all the clubs, our ability to put coaches, to bring players, to support, we're improving. And you look at these two clubs, Mumbai City and Trois in France, second league. You know, we've only been involved a year. Uh, in Mumbai City, we won the league in the first year. I mean, incredible, incredible, and huge congratulations to everyone involved in Mumbai City. And then Trois, uh, first year involved, we're in the second division, we win the second division in, uh, in, in France, and now we're in Liga. And again, it shows you that these are not anomalies. Now, when we just look at the three examples, it is hopefully becoming more and more systematic, and we're getting better and better at it. And you'll see that in, in, in all the other leagues that we're part of. So I said Girona right now battling for a place uh, in the playoffs, or oh, they're in the playoffs, so may, maybe going in La Liga again, and Montevideo City likewise. Well, Chris, it's kind of the messaging you, you see from me as I talk about every team we're involved in. It's, it's about being there. It's about being competitive. It's about being always in that top echelon of competitivity in any respective league we are. New York City FC in the MLS, we're there. We're always going to be there in that top, top three, top four, top five. We're there. Montevideo, again, upward trajectory. Girona, you know, we're going to you know, give it our best shot. They're in the playoffs right now, big two games ahead, and hopefully they'll be able to uh, make it back to La Liga. But we're there. You look at every club, Yokohama uh, in Japan, same story, they just won the league. So we, are, we, we need to be there, we need to be competitive, 
and we need to respect the communities and, and, and the demands and meet the expectations of every one of our clubs globally. And a, another a fun question on that topic. Are there any fears that the football authorities will try and hamstring or undermine the development or the initiative of CFG? I think our value continues to grow and I think the, the respect and appreciation of what we're doing in, in the football world uh, continues to grow. That doesn't worry me. I, I think, you know, I've been long enough in this business to know that results ultimately are, are the best way to, to speak. And I think our results continue to speak for themselves. When it comes to uh, the other question about, you know, concerns on the regulatory side, even now more than ever, there's a clear appreciation, I think, by, by all regulatory authorities and uh, leagues that encouraging investment is the right way to go. Investment uh, is needed in the business of football having the right rules and regulations that, uh, uh, that encourage investment. Uh, I think this is, is good for football. I think we're doing it in the right way. We're doing it in the proper way. Uh, we have the right partnerships uh, all around the world. Some clubs we wholly own, other clubs we have partners. Uh, we work very closely with all leagues that we're involved in. Uh, and I think, I can say that quite confidently, we're, we're a value added in any league we're in. So from that perspective, no, that doesn't concern me. So Fine, we're going to finish with some fun questions. Sure. A personal question for you right at the end, which we'll get to. So this fan says, some of, the, some of the areas in the stadium environs are looking scruffy. What are the plans for the area around the stadium? We have the new arena, which I think ground's been broken. But will there be more developments like hotels, offices, apartments, bars, etc., which kind of mirrors Wembley, which has been totally transformed in the, in the last 10 years? We've been very deliberate in investing in that area in, in East Manchester. We've been very commercial and very clear in terms of what we've invested in, in terms of the academy, the regeneration of East Manchester, uh, the latest, you know, the, the, you know, the real estate investments that we've made over the years that have been, I think, uh, very well received by the community and what I would say a, a value added to the city. Our partnership with the city council has been, uh, I think, a great partnership. Uh, with a win-win attitude uh, always and, and a value-added approach to the city. So let's be clear, to invest in such a large piece of infrastructure in this time, in the midst of COVID, without any clarity when this post-COVID era is going to start, without any clarity in terms of uh, when capacities will be allowed, uh, is again in the spirit of what we do and what we're good at, which is taking the right business risk. What's the thesis there? If there's any time to invest, it's right now. Because by the time this arena is finished, we will be back to a form of normality. The infrastructure will be ready by then. There's a clear demand for it. And I think it's going to be wonderful for the city of Manchester. It's going to be great for us as investors. And I think the synergies that we'll be able to create between having the arena right next to uh, the Etihad Stadium, I think will be phenomenal for, uh, for the club and for our fans that will be able to use these facilities. So again, we will continue to invest. We will do it, uh, I think, intelligently. We will do it with a, with a long-term view in the same way we have over the years. And when it comes to the stadium, again, same thing. As you said, there are some areas, I think the fans are correct in identifying areas that need, need improvement and need upgrades. You know, we will look at them, prioritize them, and then over the, the next period, we will make that investment. The final th three questions it's, it's, uh, from fans. What's been that lowest point of your chairmanship of City and the highest 
lowest points, there's not been many, Chris, honestly. Uh, and I think we've used these, these low points always as a, as a platform for, for high points. Um, but if I go back in, you know, over the years, I think one of the low points that I would always remember that led to a very important high point was uh, going back to 2010. And as we were you know, fighting for that Champions League spot, our first Champions League spot, you know, that was always such an important milestone for us. And that game against Tottenham uh, at home, um, you know, that Peter Crouch goal, losing 1-0, missing out. That was the first really heavy uh, blow, low point. But it wasn't because we used it to come back the next year and make it to the Champions League and win the cup and, and then go on to win Premier Leagues. So it was a low point, but actually a strong point because it, it, it helped us. I think with the Premier Leagues over the years, you, you know, when you win five out of ten, it's difficult to say. And when you've never left the top four in ten years, it's, it's difficult to say there's a low point in that. So actually, Chris, I, I, I will say I don't have too many low points. The uh, highest then? High points, uh, many, many, <laughs> many high points, many, many high points. Obviously, QPR was a high point and will always be a high point, that winning that first league, but also winning the FA Cup, I think. Winning that first FA Cup, first trophy for this club, that was, that was a high point and, and really set the tone. Um, I think over the years, every, every league title had its own unique uh, specialness to it. Uh, you know, from the 100-point season to beating Liverpool head-to-head. You know, -head. You know, I remember being, this was 1819, yeah when we had, I remember January being uh, the game against Liverpool at, at, at the Etihad, winning that game and then winning the next 14 games straight and winning the league knowing that we couldn't have won that league had we not done what we just done. I mean, in, incredible season that was. Uh, this season, I think, has a lot of highs. Uh, last night, you know, the Champions League final, it was a high point. It was, a, it was an absolute high point. Uh, high point because we were at the final, You'll argue maybe low point because we lost, but no. Watch what this is going to do to us next year and, and, and the years to come. So, yeah, a lot of high points. And the final question, which is <laughs> an interesting one. Are you getting bored yet? <laughs> never, never. How could you? How could you? I think when you have uh, the level of uh, passion and commitment that I think you all know I have to this club, when you work for someone like Sheikh Mansour that is... Uh, such a great leader to this organization and then when you uh, when you watch you know the fruits of the effort that you're part of uh, really so so clearly day in day out uh, in, in, in places and communities all over the world how can you get bored of that <laughs> impossible fantastic what a way to finish chairman thank you thank very you. much thank you there we have it, Chairman Khaldun Al-Mubarak talking to Editor-in-Chief Chris Bailey, reflecting on another fine season for this football club at every single level. Don't know about you, but I loved that Phil Foden. I think they were absolutely superb. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you do your listening. And as always, I implore you all to get the official Man City app on your phones. It's the best place to get all the latest news and videos. During the summer, we'll bring you all the latest transfer news, fixture updates, ticket information and much, much more. Until next time, stay safe and look after one another.